Take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 15. Thank you for doing that. appreciate it. Just want to mention a dear, dear lady that's in our midst, Pat D'Angelo, and she was really sick, and she's here in church. Can we give the Lord, <laughs> we honor the Lord with that, because the Lord, there was a time when Lisa and I went to visit her, and she, you honestly did not look that good, and I don't mean that in any offensive way at all. Um, and so then we went back two weeks after that, and, and she was, it was dramatic. It was dramatic. And so Lisa and I walked into the room. It's like, whoa, you know, God showed up. And so it's great to have her in church. And great to have Robin, too. <laughs> Acts chapter 15. I want to just finish this, just a brief, brief, tiny series that we did. So you want to help plant a church. Now, last week we looked at fear. And now tonight I just want to finish this series in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. Uh, during singing, you might notice that I lift my hands, and I, I've been doing that for a long time. I remember uh, many years ago, I did a, an evangelistic outreach down in Clearwater Beach, Florida. This is when I first became a Christian, and so, and I went down there, and there was this other group that was there, other Christian group, and they were just lifting up their hands, and, and I'm looking at them like, they're a bunch of weirdos, man. It was, it was, that's what I was thinking at the time, and I'm thinking, oh, I could never do that. And then through the process of time, I just started to realize that the Bible does talk about you know, you know, expressing ourselves and honoring him. And so sometimes I'll lift my hands really high. I'll do one. It's not like I'm asking for a question. Scott, Scott, I got a question. You know, if only one hand goes up. It's not that at all. Uh, sometimes it'll be two hands. Sometimes it'll be, you know, just, Lord, I just want to receive of you. So you'll see my hands go like this. I learned that from Corey Temboom. She hid Jews from the Nazis during the, the war. And she said that she would come to the Father just with her hands like this. And, and she was a dear lady that was used of the Lord in big ways. And so sometimes I do that in remembrance of Corey Temboom and what she taught me. And I'm like, Lord, I just want to... Other times you might see me, I'm just, my hands are like this. There was somebody that came to church one time and they saw me doing that. And they, they, it reminded them of like a quarterback. It's like you're, you're in shotgun formation and you're ready to receive the football. You know, and so that's what he was thinking I was doing. It's like, okay, ready, God. You know, it's not that at all. I mean, and so it's more just however the Spirit of God is moving did you get able to do that? It feels a little bit different. Is it just in my head? And so, uh, so if you see me raise my hands, it's, it's not anything other than I just want to be lost in the worship of God. And so I'll express that in, in different ways. And so feel free to do that if you feel comfortable with that. It's not like you need to be forced to do that, but if you feel comfortable, uh, then, then by all means do that. So we're in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. I'm going to go down a few verses after that. But I want to mention to you that without a doubt to plant a church or to build a church takes people. Would you agree with that? It, it takes people who are not only in love with Jesus, it takes people who are committed uh, to the gospel, committed to the mission, committed to making disciples. Did you know that the Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to go out into the world and plant churches? It doesn't say that, actually. I mean, there's nothing sinful about planting churches. I believe in it. I wouldn't be doing it. But the Bible says that we're to go into all the world and do what? make disciples. And then out of disciple-making comes churches. And so that's why it's so important for us to really understand that there's a lost world out there, that there are people that need Jesus, that there are people that are not born again. And so when you're coming in contact with these people at work or family members, keep praying for them. Do you have any unsaved family members? Does anybody have, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Unsaved, raise your hand. You got them. We all have friends and family that don't know Jesus. And so we're thinking outside. Not necessarily just inside, but outside of people that aren't yet here. And so we want to make disciples as a church. But we need people, obviously, to, to plant a church. Did you know that 80% of all new church plants don't make it? 
That's, that's a high ratio, 80%. And so uh, we want to try to beat the odds. That's what we want to do at Harvest Reading. Oh, I love that. Oh. Did I say try? I, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> and so what we want to do is spread the gospel as far as we can, and we want non-Christians to be saved. I was preaching at a, a church this morning down in Elverson, and um, man, that, that, you wouldn't think that there's a lot of people down in Elverson, but that road there, which is 23, that's the road that the church is located on, and so there's a lot of people going past that church building. There's a lot of people going past this church building. I've been here praying for you, praying for Harvest Reading uh, during the week, and I count cars going by, uh, and especially during rush hour. You'll have a car go by this building every two or three seconds. And sometimes they're actually parked out there because of rush hour and the light turns red and they're all backed up. And I'm thinking, God, do they even think about coming in here? Do they even think about going to church, hearing about Jesus, learning the Bible? Do you know that most of them aren't? And so you got a lot of people just in Shillington that need the Lord. And so we need people who have a heart for lost people, people that don't know Jesus yet. And so we're talking about, so you want to be part of a church plant. Do you, do you want to really, the truth of what it will take to plant this church? Well, we've been looking at those. And in the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, you'll see the spread of the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus. And so we've looked at 10 of these. Let me just run through them real quick for you. Here's the 10, first 10 that we've looked at. Betrayal. Has anybody ever been betrayed here before? Betrayed? Anybody else? Not too many people. Just a few of us. Oh, okay, now the hands are popping up. Like, okay, so it's, it's not an easy thing. You get thrown under the bus. People stab you in the back. Uh, people that say they have your back, but then they actually, you know, stab you. And it's hurtful. Betrayal is, is not something you want to go through, but it's going to happen to you as a Christian. Everybody has their Judas. Everybody has a Judas. Uh, criticism was a, the second one. So we got betrayal. We got criticism. Uh, a critic. I'm going to ask you some personal questions as we go through this because it's important for us to take ownership if we've ever unjustly criticized somebody else. And so uh, we all, not necessarily that you've betrayed. So maybe you have betrayed. I won't ask you to raise your hand on that one. But critics. We've criticized unjustly. I know that I have. I know that I have. The guy who, the, the pastor, the guy, the pastor who married us. I have a little bit more respect for pastors than that. The pastor who married us was, uh, was driving a, a blue Volvo. This is years ago. And, and I was a new Christian at the time. Do you remember that when I criticized Pastor Burke? I didn't do it to his face. I did it in my heart, behind the scenes. I was like, pastor shouldn't be driving a blue Volvo. What's up with that? You know, and so, but then I found out it was a used Volvo. You remember that story I had about the, the black Honda? Well, you know what? Whatever you sow, <laughs> that you're going to reap. And so I sowed that thing way back to the pastor who, who uh, married us. Yeah, blue Volvo? Come on. Well, he got it for a real cheap price, like three or $4,000 for a Volvo from an older lady in, her ch in his church that was selling it. Well, I criticized, so I've been guilty of that. Betrayal, criticism, here's another one. These are called sabotage, Satan's sabotage strategies. Jealousy, have you ever been jealous of somebody else? Now, let's do some honesty here, ready? Come on, you ever been jealous? Jealous, jealous, come on, we've all been jealous at first. I remember talking to a pastor, a friend of mine, I, he wasn't really a friend at the time, he would become a very close friend, but I was teaching on jealousy at our church. And, and then I ran into this guy, or was introduced to this guy, and as he's standing there talking to me, he's a, he's a big strapping guy, handsome dude, you know, and I'm looking at him, and all of a sudden jealousy entered my heart towards him. And I was like, whoa, Lord, what's going on here? You know, and so eventually we would become really, really close friends. It's crazy, jealousy's nuts. It'll, it'll sabotage a church plant, especially if it's among the, the people of God inside. 
All right, here's another one, religious people. Religious people were judgmental people. Have you ever been judged? Unjustly judged. Anybody? Have you ever judged anybody unjustly? Come on, come on. <laughs> we got some nods of the head. Religious people. Here's another one, doubters. Oh, believe that God can. Brenda just totally corrected me here. It's awesome. You know, it's not try. We're going to do it. Sometimes, honestly, the enemy will get in my head with doubts, thoughts of doubt. And you can't let that sit there for very long. And so if you have struggles with doubt, try not to tell anybody about that, especially first-time visitors who come. <laughs> Keep that to yourself. All right? <laughs> dishonest. That's number six. Dishonest. Uh, I think we all have been at various times. Not that we're liars. There's a dif- difference between being a liar, you know, intentionally lying, trying to deceive, trying to manipulate. Everybody's going to have this kind of this fleshly dishonest thing. So uh, we're not taking it further than just this um, gossipers, how about persecution? That'll, that'll try to hinder the move of the gospel, disciple-making, and church planting. And then cliques, we talked about cliques. And then the last one was deception. All right, let's keep moving through this. I got five more uh, for you we need to look at to bring this series to a close. And for you to really understand something, we, under- we have to understand that, that not only is the enemy going to attack the church, he's going to attack us individually. And more than likely, these ten that have already shown themselves on the next five are going to be ways that the devil will try to do that. To you, individually. To your own Christian life. And so, can I just say it's, it's really cool that you're closer? <laughs> I'm not used to this because you guys are way back there. But anyway, let's move on. Number one, disagreements. Disagreements, tension, and turmoil. And so, disagreements, tension, and turmoil. Acts chapter 15, I want you to look at verse 36 down to verse 39. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them, John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. So Mark took off. <laughs> he was supposed to be part of the mission. All of a sudden he's gone. And Paul gets, he gets pretty ripping mad at Mark, John Mark. Uh, where was I? Verse 38. Verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement, verse 39, so that they separated. Now, who's the ones who are separating here? It's Paul and and Barnabas. They're having this conversation, and Barnabas wants to bring uh, John Mark. He has a little bit more sensitivity. I don't know, really know the personality of Barnabas in this context, but you see this disagreement happen between Paul and Barnabas. The really cool thing, though, if if you carry that out, you study that out, that God still used the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas to expend uh, to expand the kingdom or to build the, the church. So God is a redeemer. In other words, something might have happened in our life bad. It might have been unjust. It might have been horrible. But God's still going to take that and redeem it for his purposes. He is that sovereign. And he is that wise in all that he allows and all that he does. So whatever's happened to you, God can still redeem that. And so here is disagreements, tension, and turmoil. You know disagreements happen in the church all the time. They happen all the time. And through the years of ministry, I've seen this and experienced this. You know what I think about disagreements? I mean, we all have disagreements, right? Have you ever had, when's the last time you had a disagreement with your spouse, those who are married? Was it today? Today? Are you guys going to divorce court, you know, filing papers, right? You're going to work it out. You don't separate. You know, and so what's happening in the church is that these disagreements are happening. People are separating without really putting a lot of effort into trying to work things out. And I've seen a lot of that through the years. 
And so if you have a disagreement, if we have a disagreement, let's talk it out. Let's sit down, talk, pray, you know, and love each other. And I think a lot of the separation is really uh, probably premature in most cases. But people get hurt feelings and they move on. I remember a couple that came into the church. I call them the Holy Spirit police. They want to make sure that everybody was Holy Spirit led from the pastor all the way to the rest of the congregation. And so I call them the Holy Spirit police. They, their agenda or their mission was to make sure that we're a spirit-filled church. That's not here. This is up in New England. And so here's the answer to this one here if you want to write it in. So we got disagreements, number one. Show care and concern for the church. There's a little answer there. Show care and concern for the church. How many people know that you need to take care of your body physically, right? You don't take care of your body, you hurt it. You'll pay the consequences for that. And so the same thing with the church of Jesus. It's a body, and people are hurting it. People hurt the church by, by disagreements and tensions and all of these things. Instead of working it out, they're actually hurting the church. They're hurting the progress of the church. Show, so show care and concern for the body of Christ. And that's a, it's, it's a lot for me as a pastor. It's a lot because there's a lot of responsibility riding. You know, and the way I live and... and and I know that that is the power of the Spirit of God, and it's not like something I'm carrying without Jesus' help. I get all that. But not just pastors, but everybody in the church. So the way that we are as Christians can actually help the church and bring healing to the church, or it can hurt the church. And so show care and concern for the body of Christ, for Harvest Reading. If you have some disagreements, work them out. Work them out. Because if you, if you leave, separate yourself, run, you know, and not resolve those things, it actually hurts the body. Number two. This is in chapter 16, if you want to turn over there. 16, verses 16 to 18. Are you still with me? It's getting hot. Everybody's falling asleep already. 16, 16 to 18, a lack of discernment. Lack of discernment. Discernment is the ability to, to tell the difference between truth and error, right and wrong. Uh, it's more than just the conscience. A conscience every human being has. So every human being has this built-in uh, mechanism from God that helps people understand right and wrong. You can sear the conscience, you can hurt the conscience so that you become psychotic. I mean, worst case scenarios that you have no more conscience. But I'm talking about something different. Discernment is the ability by the Spirit of God, based on the Word of God, to be able to look out and go, okay, well, this is right, this is wrong, this is where I need to go, this is where I don't need to go. And so we're lacking some discernment in the church. Look at chapter 16, verses 16 and following. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Have you ever met a person with a spirit of divination? Not too often, not in America, but in other, other countries, it's very common, especially where there's a lot of occult practices. And they brought her owners, oh, and she brought her owners much gain by doing what? What's it say in your version? It says fortune telling. Fortune telling. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And, and this she kept doing for many days. So what did Paul do? So Paul, having become greatly, what? Annoyed. Some might say troubled. Turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Fortune telling. Discernment. What is the truth? What is error? What should you avoid? What should you not avoid as Christians? Uh, discernment's built on Word of God understanding. Holy Spirit-empowered understanding of the Word of God. That's how you build discernment. So you're not in the Word of God as a Christian. Most Christians don't even read the Bible anymore. 
Uh, is discernment going to be there? Yes or no? It's not. It can't be. And so it's important, important to understand the Bible. I remember back in uh, Connecticut, we would go to something called the Woodstock Fair. Are there fairs in Pennsylvania? You know what a fair is? There is fairs? Fairs are really cool. I like fairs. I like the Woodstock Fair. I did not like the fortune teller that was there. And so we would go there, and, and there, she had a little table set up. Come over here, and I'll read your palms, and I'll, I'll tell you what your future is. And I would, I would watch her from a distance. I didn't go over and, and have any kind of conversation. with. I think I might have said something to her, but I wasn't asking for my palm read or anything. Or, but I was like, you know, I don't, I don't get this. I really don't get that. I didn't say this to her. I'm thinking it. But I watched Christians, heard about Christians going up to fortune tellers. That is not something we want to do. You will open yourself up to the demonic realm. Here's some verses if you want to jot these down. Don't take my word for it. Fortune telling is a sin. It's a sin. It's wrong. It completely is of the, of the evil one. Deuteronomy 18.10, 1 Samuel 28.8, 2 Kings 17.17, 17, and Micah 3.11 all talk about uh, this, this particular thing, fortune-telling. And Christians should not be going to fortune-tellers. We need discernment. Uh, I mentioned, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago when we finished, or we kept going through this, uh, some things like hypnosis and yoga. Please be discerning about those things. Ask the Lord. Uh, be careful of those, because that can, that can lead you down the wrong path. And, uh, and, and, and I want to throw on top of that, because... Um, the Masons are big in Reading. And if you're part of the Mason group, please, please, get as far away from that as you can. Christians should not be in the Masons. And I feel like I have to say that in the church nowadays because there's so many Christians and leaders in Christian churches that are part of the Masons. Discernment. There needs to be discernment. Here's the answer. Develop discernment with the truth of the Word of God. There's the answer. Develop discernment by taking in the Word of God, not just taking it in, but have the conviction to live by the Word of God when you're facing the things that you're facing. And I'm not saying we need to be ugly. And, and you know, I got fired up about the pagoda a couple weeks ago. My veins were sticking out. I was probably breaking out in the sweat. You know, my eyeballs were bulging. You know, and I, I probably went over the top with that. Not that I don't believe what I was saying. It's just, if I came across a little bit, you know, a little bit nutty, you know, then I, I apologize for that. But I'm passionate about false religions being of the devil. They are. And so we have to, as Christians, to, to take a stand against it. I'm not saying being ugly about it or rude or crude or, or anything like that, but we need to take a stand. Here's the third sabotage. Number three, drama, chaos, and corruption. Go to chapter 17. Chapter 17. We got drama, chaos, and corruption. So verse 1 of chapter 17, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Uh, here again is the advancement of the gospel. It's fantastic. I love the book of Acts. And there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. To, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this is Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. I mean, Paul is convicted. He is, he's bold. You're talking about unapologetic preaching. Uh, this was Paul. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. 
And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. I mean, you got, you got some drama here. Drama and chaos. And that, that kind of thing, the enemy will take, and he will use it to try to stop the movement of the gospel and try to, to kill a church. I'm all about a drama-free zone, right? How about drama-free churches, amen? <laughs> You've ever been part of some churches? It's nothing but drama, and it's chaos. I'm reading a book here. It's called Who Moved My Pulpit? I got this uh, in the mail just a couple days ago, and I read it and devoured it. Thomas Rainier uh, wrote this book, and it talks about a pastor who is really progressive. He's driven. He wants to make changes in the church, and so uh, he really wants to reach the world. I mean, he's just a great, great guy. It's a true story. And so uh, the guy thought, you know what? The pulpit that we've had has been around for like 40 or 50 years. It's time for an upgrade. It's time for a more modern pulpit. And so he moved his pulpit out one week and, and put the new one in. And so he came back to church the following week, and he was mingling with the people, and he notices that the people, somebody in the, in the congregation, actually moved his new pulpit out and put the old 40, 50-year-old pulpit back. And so the guy said, just kind of erupted. He said, who moved my pulpit? And everybody just kind of looks. This whole book was written on that. How to change a church and what do you do to change a church. And so we messed something, a relic like a pulpit or some other piece of furniture in the church. A lot of people can come unglued. It's drama. It's drama. You know how many churches are struggling with drama? Anyway, and here he writes, he gives 15 of the top uh, drama situations that, that he has found as people have emailed him because he's a church consultant. He goes into churches like maybe Burke's or other churches that are struggling, and he tries to help them to come alive again. So here's some of them. Now, this gets really, this gets really full of drama. And I just thought they were kind of ridiculous. Kind of funny, actually. Here's one. There was an argument. Now, these are all true stories. Argument broke out in a church over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. It's almost ridiculous, but it's true. <laughs> and so, Scott, how, how long is your beard, brother? It's about as long as it's going to get, right? <laughs> Here's another one. A church dispute. A church dispute over of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the woman's restroom. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. A petition to have all church staff clean-shaven. A big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off by 10 cents. Someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. And then here's one more. A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cranberry slash grape juice instead of just grape juice. Who moved my pulpit? A book about drama. That's what that's about. Of course, the writer is just awesome, the way he puts it. And I wouldn't have been nearly as gracious as Tom Rainier. Because drama in the church just is, is unbelievable. It hinders, it hurts, it leads to chaos. It doesn't help a church at all. And some of you, when I said, do you know what drama I'm talking about in the church? You might have some bat, uh, past church experiences where you've faced some drama and you know what I'm talking about. So let's, let's stay away from drama, amen? We need to work it out. I remember years ago, I was looking for a facility for our youth group when I was a youth pastor. And I did not communicate as clearly as I needed to communicate. I, I do admit that. And this is about 25 years ago now, so it's been a while. And so I wasn't communicating. I was looking for a facility. Our youth group was growing. Teenagers were coming from everywhere. Uh, again, I didn't communicate to the parents as I should have, and so I had 
four or five teenagers. I said, Pastor Chris, can we meet with you in your office? I'm like, yeah, come on, let's go. So I go back to my office. This is after a Sunday night service, and, and they, they, they just all of a sudden started on me. You know, and then one by one, their parents came into the office with them. So now I have the teenagers, I have their parents, and it became a lynch mob. I don't know if you know the mentality of a lynch mob. People get worked up, and they start getting into a frenzy, and that's what was happening. And all of a sudden, I started getting defensive. And I was like, whoa! I was like, you know, back off. You know, what's going on here? You know, I'm trying hard to be the youth pastor, take care of your kids, lead your kids to Jesus, and all of a sudden, they're coming against me. And so the pastor had to be called in, because I was just the, the associate youth pastor, and, and he said, can everybody just go home? Please go home. And, and he said, Chris, you need to go. And I left. You know, before that happened, a girl comes in, you know, runs out of the office. Her name was Nikki. And uh, Nikki runs out, and she was crying. And one of the fathers comes running in. Did you slap her? Did you slap her? I was like, what? I said, it was crazy drama. I said, I didn't touch her. I didn't touch her. You know, it was just nutty. You know, because God was doing something crazy, amazing in our youth group. And the enemy was trying to get in through drama, chaos, and confusion. It'll happen in churches. We have to be careful of that. Here's the answer. Except not everyone will be on board. There are drama. I call them stress carriers. You might want to call them drama carriers. Wherever they go, there's drama. And so, um, and they're not going to usually stick it out. They don't usually stay in churches. They go on to the next church and, and try to cause drama. Uh, these people are, are, are pretty much, again, have their own agenda. There was a lady in the church that said, I was the best preacher she'd ever heard. Ever. I was like, wow, ever. And so, uh, yeah, you're the best preacher. Every service after I'd preach, you're the best. And then, and then one day she was gone. I was like, what happened to her? And she said that I showed too many videos or something. I, did, I, did, I showed too, one too many video illustrations. And, but I was the best preacher ever. You know, and then I ran into her at Walmart, and she just shunned me. Like, you know, I, it did, interesting enough, I went back to the church for that 10-year anniversary. I don't know if you remember that or not. I went back up there, and, and she was there. And she comes up to me. You're the best preacher ever. <laughs> no, she didn't say that. That would have been crazy. I would have been like, what? What? She's a drama carrier. You know, she was drama. And it brought incredible, incredible chaos. Look at number four. Write it in. Look at uh, number four is idolatry. Idolatry. Chapter 17, verse 16. Notice this. Now, while Paul, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. He saw the city was full of idols, and so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? Uh, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Which is all pretty cool. I mean, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing there. But what was happening in Athens, that they were wholly given over to idols, idolatry, worship of idols. False beliefs will sabotage church planting. They'll creep into churches in subtle ways. Just the sheer magnitude uh, of the opposition of the spiritual world and that's why we have to be so discerning because the enemy is like, what does it say, an angel of light, right? An angel of light to try to deceive. And idolatry is not just these little statues. Idolatry is much more than that. It's this belief about something that has elevated itself so high that you're actually bowing down to it. Not literally. It's not like you're getting on your knees before it. 
But whatever this object is, has become so important to you, you turn to it uh, during times of stress and anxiety or whatever it could be. I mean, if it's food, it can be an idol, right? Food can be an idol or, or sex and pornography or um, spending. People spend because they rush in spending. There, it becomes an idol. I mean, it's all over the place. Idolatry. And it hurts you, and it hurts the church, and it hurts the mission of spreading the gospel. You know what Reading needs? Reading needs the church to have revival. That's what it needs. The, the problem isn't with Reading. The problem is with the church. And so people ask, so how do you, how do you grow a church? You know how you grow a church? When, we, when I grow, I grow, you grow, you know, individually. That's how we grow. You love Jesus. You walk with Christ. You're going to say no to things that you used to say yes to, and you're going to just keep going with him. When you keep going with him, you keep growing. The church starts to thrive, and then it starts to grow. But when you look at Reading, you go, oh, man, the problem is out there with Reading. It's not really the problem out there. We need to look at churches and go, the problem is here. We're not revived. We're not awakened. We're not serious about Jesus. That's the issue. Idols, here's the answer. Confront the city with confidence. The only person that can confront the city like the Apostle Paul is somebody that's living for Jesus. Abandon. Abandon. And Paul was that man. And that's why he can go into Athens and do what he did with such confidence. And we need that kind of a congregation. We need a confident congregation that will really confront idolatry. Idols. Here's number five and finally. Believe it or not, storms. Go to chapter 27. We'll go all the way to the end now. All the way to the end. 27. Look at verse 13. Now, I'm not going to read all of this because you know the story if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul's ministry. Now, when the south wind blew gently, this is verse 13 of chapter 27, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon the tempestuous wind called the Northeaster. We call them Northeasters up in uh, New England. Those are big storms, man. They're, they're intense. They come on, they hit New England with a fierce uh, fierceness struck down from the land verse 15 when the ship was caught could not face the wind we gave way to it and were driven along running i mean it goes on and on all the things that they experienced all the things that the apostle paul the point is this storms believe it or not natural storms can even be used of the enemy to try to hinder the progress of the gospel or the the building of his church now figuratively storms could characterize a lot of different things uh, it could be uh, discouragement depression it could be all kinds of things that the enemy will use in your life. Trauma, some form of difficulty that you're going through. I mean, I've looked at some of the things I've gone through with my wife as far as our life and ministry, and it's been storms, lots of storms, you know. And so not storms in the sense of natural storms. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about storms of, of other kinds. And so Harvest Reading is, is going to face storms. There's no question about it. Here's the answer. Trust God that he is sovereign and serve again. Now, the reason why I say that is because when something comes into your life, in your past, it could, the enemy could say, you know what, you can't move out. I mean, here's what we need at, at, crea at creation. That's the church I led up. I get that mixed up all the time. Harvest. At harvest. And so what we need, uh, we need people that uh, will trust God, that he is sovereign over the storm, and serve again. Because if you've gone through something in your past and it's been hard, it's been hard. The enemy can take that and cause you to, to scale back 
so that you're not giving out. And so when, when we're needing people to build the church, people have pulled back because they've been hurt. And they say, I don't know if I can do that right now. And so a lot of times, honestly, when you go through church trauma, you want to find a big church where you can hide out. And that's what a lot of people do when they go through church trauma. And so my encouragement to you, if that is you, and you're kind of wondering, okay, what am I going to do here? Uh, my encouragement to you is to trust God that sovereign, he's sovereign over your storm and serve again. When Lisa and I went through our storm many, many years ago, there was a small church called Cross Point, And uh, I had met the pastor, and we were going to plant a church out of his church. And so, uh, but we were in the midst of a trauma. We were going through a very difficult storm in our life. Huge. North, nor'easter. Big one. And so, um, but the pastor was being super sensitive to me. He asked me to preach a few times. Uh, Lisa would go to church. Here, here's what we were doing at the time. We were thinking, you know what? God wants us in church. Do not separate yourself from the church. You've been through a storm. It can call, the enemy can say, okay, go over here for a while. I want you to hide out, separate, isolate. You don't want to do that. You still want to come to church. So be in the presence of God. Be around other Christians uh, and the Holy Spirit's influence. So Lisa would come to church and I would go to church and we would, we would sometimes force ourselves to go. Because it's the right thing to do. Did we feel like going to church in the midst of that? Uh, the enemy was saying, you know, just kind of go over here. You need time over here. You just need time by yourself. You don't need time by yourself. You need to be around the, the believers of God. You need to be around the family of God. And so what was happening is that we were forcing ourselves. We'd go to church, and God would show up. And uh, Le- poor Lisa, she was going through a whole lot and spent a lot of time just in the chair crying, you know, before the Lord. And I was dazed. I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. And pastor was being super sensitive to me because... He knows that it's not good for me to not do anything and not serve, but he doesn't want to throw me in there because he needed me to help build the church, so he's being real super sensitive. And that's what I'm being with quite a few guys that I'm, I'm meeting around town here, guys that were once in ministry. I would love to have them come help us at Harvest Reading. And I want to be sensitive like Jeff was to me. You know, but I do know that these people do not want to hide out. They don't want to isolate, not serve, not be involved. That's not going to be healthy. It doesn't help. And so keep... Trust in God's sovereignty, that he is sovereign over that. So there's 15 of them. Ready? Real quick, real quick, just so you don't forget. Betrayal, criticism, jealousy. Look out for these. If, they, if you've done these, if you're doing these, then, then take this last song we're going to sing and just come before the Lord and say, Lord, I just don't want to be like that. I need you to change me. Religious people, doubters, dishonesty, gossip, persecution, cliques, deception, disagreements, lacking discernment, drama, idols, and believe it or not, storms in your life. All of those can hinder you as a Christian, and it can hinder our church. And so God, help us to to really get the healing, really get before the Lord. And during this song, pray it out. If you need to talk with me, pray with me, pray with my wife. We're just wanting to love on you and help you to keep moving forward. Amen? God, would you help us? Help us, Lord, to come before you during this song, to worship you because you're worthy. Maybe to raise a hand for the first time because they want to express themselves to you and just in a different kind of a way, whatever it is, Lord. Uh, God, we know that you are truly an unstoppable God, that you are the God that is on the throne. You are sovereign. There's nothing that takes you by, uh, uh, catches you off guard. Nothing ever does that. And so, God, we pray that these 15 characteristics that we looked at, these sabotages of Satan, uh, would you just help us go through that list right now during this song? And if we need to make confession, I pray, God, that we would just be honest with you about these. Maybe we've gossiped about somebody. Maybe we've betrayed someone. 
Maybe we've gotten bitter because someone betrayed us and we haven't forgiven. Whatever it may be, Holy Spirit, help us to go through this list mentally and help us to do business with you during this song. We want more than anything to you, for you to be glorified, for you to be honored in Harvest Reading. And so God, revival does start with the house of the Lord. It starts with the church. It starts with us. And so God, move Holy Spirit.